Hello, welcome to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you, and we help you build better habits. I am Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here, and once again, I am joined by Creekside's Dean of Self-Discipline. My, they're going to get worse as these go forward, Dad. My dad, John Bruce. Dad, how are you today? I'm, I'm not feeling too disciplined today, so really, I hope we'll do, hope we'll do fine here. You're feeling undisciplined. Undisciplined. Yes. Do you want to talk about why, or no, should we just? I, no, I do not. Show? I would like to keep the veneer here. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Save your credibility. You might have already lost it, but we'll we'll pretend we still have it. Good. So last week, Dad, we began to discuss what kinds of habits a follower of Jesus should develop. And we said that there are disciplines of the Christian life that we must do. They're not the might-dos of the Christian life. They are the must-dos if we want to become like Jesus. And these particular disciplines are so critical that we have to think of them as things we make room for in our lives. Right. They are not things we find room for in our lives. We shove other things aside to make room for these things. That's good. And and that led into a conversation about priorities and the importance of of priorities and embracing this truth as Christians that we cannot do everything in life. So that's one truth to embrace. But the second one, I think, is that God has entrusted to us, is stewarded to us, a limited amount of time and energy. And we are accountable before him to do the things that he has for us to do, to make his priorities ours. Right. And so that's why we have to be crystal clear about the must-dos of the Christian life and design our lives around those must-dos. And last week, you said that the must-do, the place to start, the master habit of the Christian life is hearing from Jesus in his word daily. That habit is foundational to every other one. Uh, And it made me think about just the word disciple and what it means, that that it means student or apprentice. And that in the ancient world, if you wanted to get an education, you would attach yourself to a master, to a rabbi, and follow them around and learn how to become like them. And if we're going to follow Jesus around in the world, well, it's no secret he tells us how to do it. It's by abiding in his word. Exactly. It's hearing the words of our master, Jesus. And we know from Scripture that all of Scripture, and Jesus says this as well, is about him. Right. All of Scripture is about Jesus. Jesus says, these words testify about me, talking about the entire Old Testament. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 that the Scriptures make us wise to salvation through faith in Jesus. So the Bible, in its totality, teaches you how to trust Jesus, how to see and embrace Jesus, and then how to become like him. And so the bottom line is, as we said last time, that we are what we eat. Jesus tells us to eat this book (laughs) And by ingesting it, digesting it, that is how we become like him. So, talked a little bit about building a daily time in the Word of God. You gave some pro tips on how to carve out time to be in the Bible. We talked about the rewards, the great rewards of Bible reading. And listeners, you can check our show notes if you want to see what those rewards are. And those are great verses to memorize, by the way, as we think about studying the Bible. And anything else you want to add from that last conversation? Any, anything at all? At this point, well, I think it's just that that the way Christ works in our lives is through His Word. Yeah, and I can't have a viable relationship with Jesus unless I have it through the Scriptures, because that's the way He speaks to me. It's good. Yeah, we also talked about the efficacy of the Scriptures, the power of them to, right. to change our lives, and yeah, this is this is how God works in our life is through His words. So today. We want to continue this discussion about the master habit of spending time with Jesus in his word, learning from him. And so I want to start with a hypothetical, Dad. Imagine that someone actually listened to this podcast. That's the first thing I want you to imagine. (laughs) Second thing, that they actually bought into what we were saying last time, that they said, you know, that makes a lot of sense, that the foundational habit of the Christian life is hearing from Jesus in his word. And so they go to bed 30 minutes earlier, like we told them to. They get up 30 minutes earlier. They carve out this time. They make their coffee. They go grab their Bible off the shelf, maybe blow a little bit of dust off. They open it up, but then they're paralyzed. I think listeners have had that experience of opening the book and then going, oh my goodness, 
what do I do now? Why do we have that feeling sometimes when we open the Bible? The Bible is a big, complicated book, and uh, it's not always easy to understand. And people can be intimidated by, when they start to start to read it. Uh, many people have a, have the uh, experience of reading for twenty minutes and then being totally unable to remember anything they read. Uh, and and it, because it's a discipline, it's hard to do. It's easy to give up after a few times, rather than understanding that the Bible is an acquired taste. And the more time you spend in it, the more enjoyable it becomes. Hmm. So what you're saying, it's big and complicated. Um, I think that would cause some people to quit right away. <laughs> well, yeah. if it's big and complicated and it, at points can be very hard to understand, um, then how do I get traction in this? Yeah. Because to make it satisfying, as with any habit... We have to see progress. Right. We have to see that, you know what, I am starting to deepen my knowledge and understanding of this book. And I think that leads into this conversation of, okay, well, what tools do we need to bring to the table here as we read? How, how can we better understand the Bible? And, and what habits of reading do we need to develop right. to do that? Right. I like to use um, a, a simple three-step method, which I think Christians have used for, for centuries to understand and apply the scriptures. And it's really based on Jesus' parable of the soils, where Jesus described the good soil as those who hear the word, understand the word, and apply the word, and thereby bear fruit. So three steps I find are very helpful is observation, uh, carefully hearing what the Word actually says, rather than reading into it what I want it to say or what I expect it to say. Mm -hmm. Second, interpretation, understanding what the Scriptures means. Uh, what did it mean to those to whom it was originally written? And in light of that, what does it mean for us today? And so in this step, I'm, I'm looking for truths or lessons to apply to my life. Mm -hmm. And then finally, application, or how will I implement what I learned from the passage? Mm -hmm. Great. So observation, interpretation, application. They've all got a nation. It sounds really nice. And yet, this isn't just a science. There's an art to this. Right. To, right. to cultivating an attentiveness to the text so that we really read out what's there as opposed to reading in all of our preconceived ideas and assumptions and, and prejudices. Exactly. In other words, we want to, to work to make ourselves, uh, put ourselves under the Scriptures and, and hear it as God speaking to me rather than me speaking to God and telling him what he really means. Hmm. Um, um, I, th I think that, that uh, many Christians have trouble understanding the Bible simply because we don't take the time to closely look at it, what it actually says. We hear, but we don't really hear. Um, in the book of James, James talks about becoming a doer of the Word, and he says that becoming a doer of the Word begins with how closely I look at the Word. Mm -hmm. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not becoming a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So, so James is comparing the person who, who hears what the word says but then forgets about it immediately after with someone who simply glances at his reflection in a mirror as he, as he walks by and, and doesn't do anything mm -hmm. with someone who gazes uh, at the word, really looking at it carefully so that it changes his life. Mm -hmm. so, so to me, to apply the Bible uh, and form new habits, we do begin by gazing intently at the Word and see what it actually says. Have, have you found that to be true, Jeff? Well, yeah, it's definitely true. And um, it gets back to our discussion last time that it often we have to grapple with a text to really get the, f the fruit of it right, and, and to benefit from it. I think that one of the easiest missteps to make is 
we start with an assumption that, okay, this has to be relevant to my life. Right. That's our assumption driving us to the Bible. What's going to be relevant to my life? And so we look for whatever in the passage stands out to me as something that's relevant to what I'm going through. Yeah, that's a good point. And then when we read the Bible through that, we, we filter out subconsciously anything else it might be trying to say and look for a word or an idea or something that resonates with us. Right, right. And that's a great way to start a discussion about the Bible is to say, okay, what resonated with you? And I've used that in Bible studies before. The danger of always doing it when we come to the Bible is that God didn't write the Bible directly to us to address our needs for that day. God's actually trying to teach us something that is relevant, period. Right, right. Not what we think we need, but what we need to know. Right. And the meaning of the text is objective. Right. The author wrote it to an original audience to teach them something. And, and so to start with, not what's most relevant to me or what does this mean to me, as they often say, a better question is what does it mean? Exactly, yeah. What is the meaning in this text? What's the big idea the author is trying to communicate? And this is where humility comes in as a Bible reader, is to say what I need is to understand the intent of God's Word, not what I think resonates with me right. in this passage. And I think that's often why people are frustrated reading the Bible, is that they start with, what could I apply or implement immediately? Right. Rather than with just observation. Um, I am here to sit under the Word and be instructed, Yeah. not find something that I emotionally resonate with. Exactly. It's what God has to say to me is the thing I most need. Mm-hmm. Though I may not recognize it right away, it's really the difference between eating fast food and and cooking at home. Yeah, um, it's a lot easier if you can just pop something in the microwave and eat. Mm-hmm. But for the best miss, best meals take a lot of effort. And mm-hmm. The same thing true here. If we're really going to feed on the scripture, we've got to put in the effort. Yeah, and I would say to elaborate on that analogy. The more you cook, the more enjoyable the actual process gets. Absolutely. That there's something cathartic about the process. And actually, and I'll encourage you listeners, there are enjoyable things about the process of discovery in the Bible, and so that the process becomes rewarding um, of just discovering what something means. Yeah, yeah. So so I think looking intently um, at the Scripture is the goal of observation. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so what are you looking for? Yeah. I, I, when I first begin to read through a passage of Scripture, I want to find the big idea, our main idea of a passage. Um, as, as you often say, verses only have meaning within the context of the verses around them. Right. So I find that unless I first see the forest, mm-hmm. I can't see the trees. Right. So I want to get the big picture first before I look at each individual verse. What, what is this passage about? And what are some tools that help me to find the big idea? Yeah. And, and in listeners, if you're wondering, well, what is a passage? Well, often your Bible will just break them down into units of thought. And so just start with a unit of thought the Bible gives you. They have paragraph indentations. Just yeah. start there and go, okay, this is a, they think this is a unit of thought. So I'll take them at their word right. and start with that kind of passage. Right. So good. That's good. So the first thing I want to look at is I'm trying to find the main idea of, of this paragraph mm-hmm. or passage, and so I want to look at what words connect the verses. Mm-hmm. That shows me how each verse relates to the verse that comes before it and mm-hmm. what comes after it and how the author develops his thoughts. So words like but, mm-hmm. um, so that, therefore, in order that. And, and so I find the first thing I want to do is look at what are the words that are connecting each verse to, to one another. Some passages, that's very relevant, especially in the epistles, right. um, where, where the author is making an argument. Other passages, which are more narratives or stories, that isn't as relevant. What, how, how have you found, found connecting words to be helpful to you, Jeff? Yeah, I think particularly when they're making an argument, look at the steps in the argument. And that's right. what those connecting words help you to do, right. is to say, okay, now there's a contrast, here's a reason, he's, he's supporting his point here, here's the purpose of him saying that. And, and you can break down a passage in that way. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's helpful for letters. Right. If you're reading a narrative, and since about 60% of the Bible is narrative, there are other 
there are other indicators that I would say are more important than right. the connecting words, and right. we can get into that in a second. But at least we want to see the flow of action. We want to pay attention to you know, what happens here, who does it happen to, how does it happen, things like that in the story. Yeah, the, I, I would say um, for narratives, maybe a way of thinking about it is, is changes in the scene. Yeah. Yeah, Think of great. it like you're watching a movie. Yeah, exactly. And and, and wh- wh- where are the shifts in the scene, and what does the shift indicate? Right. So so anyway, well, anything that can help me to see the relationship of of the verses to one another, and kind of how how the how the narrative or how the how the the, the scripture flows mm-hmm. from one thing to another. Second, I like to look for repeated words or repeated ideas. For example, yep. in in Second Corinthians three, uh, Paul repeats the word glory over and over and over again and and you get to that passage and you say this passage is probably something about glory uh it can be a repeated idea in james 3 james repeats the idea of a small thing controlling a large thing a a forest that is set on fire by a a small flame a a rudder that directs a boat a, a a bit that directs a horse mm-hmm. and in the same way he says the the tongue uh, directs the whole course of life mm-hmm. so so uh, why why are repetitions why why do you think jeff that looking for what is repeated important in understanding the scripture well whatever is repeated is what's emphasized right and you got to remember someone is writing this down and when you're writing and you repeat a word over and over again that's getting to the thing you want to sit in your hearers um, memories, right. especially when you think a letter, these were read. Right. And so reading it aloud sometimes really helps to understand, oh, you hear glory, 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 glory over yeah. again. Here's the point that, that Paul wants you uh, to take away. Yeah. And so repeated words or phrases are sort of the clue. And if you follow the clue, you really are on your way to finding the point yes. of the passage. Yes. Now, it doesn't get you all the way there. But you have a great idea of the theme. You know, I was thinking of an example I often like to use is Luke 15, and because uh, it's such a popular passage, but the parable of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. And that Jesus tells these three parables in a row, and they're all about lost things being found in a right. great party of rejoicing. Right. And, and, and so it's pretty easy to conclude from reading that, well, the point of the passage is about lost things being found, and there, that being a great reason to rejoice. Right. And uh, now the punchline is not what people think in that, but right. maybe we could get to that in a second. Yeah. 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 So, uh, again, we're looking for the, ma- the big idea of a passage, and so we look at how the verses relate to each other, kind of how the passage is structured. We yep. look for, are there, what's the emphasis of the passage? Mm-hmm. Because if there are repeated words, that uh, my big idea should have something to do with that emphasis. Third thing I like to look for are lists. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime there's a list of things, uh, I pay attention. For example, in Second Peter 1, uh, Peter says, here are qualities you need to add to your life. It is kind of, it's kind of a picture of how we grow as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, to your faith, add moral excellence, to your moral excellence, add diligence, uh, and, and so forth. Um, how do you use lists, Jeff, when you find them? Yeah, I think what is a list of? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is the first question Titling to ask. The list. Titling the list, yeah. and then how does it relate to his point in the in the passage? But but generally, lists help to fill out. They're the trees, um, but the forest is the point. Yes, right. And yes. and so, First um, Corinthians thirteen, Paul gives this great list about love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, why does he give that list in the context about the the about the nature of love, the quality of love, the enduring nature of love? Um, well, it's not because Paul wanted to give a heartwarming sermon to a couple on a wedding day, yeah. right? It's, though many people uh, use that at their wedding, and <laughs> if you used it, I, it's totally fine. But uh, but it's because he's talking about the priority of, of love and really Christian character over Christian giftedness. Yes, that's that's the larger point within First Corinthians twelve through fourteen. Is you might be enamored with these manifestations of the spirit that are supernatural, but ultimately these are transient relative to, to love. And right. so the list cues me to the idea that Paul really wants to emphasize whatever this list is about. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's really helpful. Fourth thing I look for is commands. Are mm-hmm. there any commands in this passage? Uh, because I find that often a passage is simply an explanation for, for the commands that are given. Yep. For, for example, in 1 John 4, 
Uh, there is one command, beloved, let us love one another. And the whole remainder of the passage is why we ought to love one another. Yeah. You can make that book wide, too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes commands are that significant. Right. Romans 12, 1, right. which you've mentioned, you know, therefore offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. Do not be conformed. That therefore, in view of the mercies of God, offer your bodies. Well, why should we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in view of God's mercies? Well, what are God's mercies? Go read Romans 1 through 11. Yeah, that's good. And, and, and so that whole, that command really tethers the entire, it's a, it's a hinge point for the entire book. Right. And, right. and so I agree, commands are super significant, um, particularly for reading Paul, because often the command is, is based on what he has said previously. Right. right, the imperative flows from an indicative right. of a truth that he's been stating. Yeah, so. that's good. Fifth thing, as I look for contrast, and, and the key word for contrast is but. Mm-hmm. Not this, but this. Yep. Not this way, but, but this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm asking, what exactly is being contrasted? Right. For exactly all of John 7 is mm-hmm. a story about contrasting the Pharisees and religious leaders with everybody else. Yeah. Uh, all these groups keep saying, well, can this be the Messiah? Can this be the Messiah? And they're asking questions about Jesus being Messiah. Right. But the Pharisees keep coming back, well, we don't think he's the Messiah, so obviously he's not. <laughs> and right. it's just contrast. It's a great contrast with what belief looks like and what honest investigation looks like yeah. versus what, what stubborn unbelief mm-hmm. uh, looks like. So I find contrasts are, are very helpful in, in a variety of ways to find the, the big idea of a yeah. passage. Yeah, that's good. One I would add is summary statements. Hmm. That's good, yeah. Uh, sometimes in narratives, you get those where, right. especially if the narrator interjects and says what's going on. If you're reading a narrative, it's like, yeah. right? Because the assumption is the, uh, the narrator's omniscient, yeah. right? They're telling the story, so they have all of the behind-the-scenes knowledge. So when you're reading Judges... And it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is the narrator giving yeah. the bird's eye, and we would say God's eye view on what is happening. Yeah. And so as much as we might struggle with all of the moral conundrums in Judges, part of the point is that we would struggle because there's no king in Israel, and everyone is just trying to do their best without God as their authority. Right. That's the vein, and that... That, that summary statement really helps to create a framework in which to understand what's going on in the book yeah. and, and cautions us from saying, well, this happened and judges go and do likewise, or this happened and judges go right. and do likewise. Right. No, this, this is the, the bracket for the book, is that summary statement, and often those function that way. Yeah, Samson may not be a hero, in other words. <laughs> and that, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, one other thing uh, that I like to look for are cause-effect relationships, mm-hmm. um, so that, right. in order that. Uh, this kind of fits into the connecting words, too, but I like to look specifically at cause-effects because it explains why something happens mm-hmm. or why something doesn't happen. Um, I know you use uh, the prayer, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 4, 3, 14 through 20, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's a great prayer, but it's all so that, so that, so that, mm-hmm. so that. Uh, Paul says, uh, I pray that your eyes will be open, you'll be able to understand uh, God's love for you, so that uh, so that this, so that this, and mm-hmm. the whole thing is finally so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Right. So it's really, it's really a prayer that they experience God in his fullness, uh, and it, but it kind of gives the steps of how you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens, so this has to happen, so this has to happen. So I, I like to find kind of principles of life, why things happen the way they happen, mm-hmm. because that's going to help me later on when I'm applying it to my own life. So cause effects are real, really important to me. It's good. And finally, one thing that see, should seem obvious is I want to see if there's any words I can't define, because, <laughs> cause, because God speaks through words, yeah. and, and if I don't understand what the word means, then I can't understand what he's saying. Right. Um, I, unlike you, I cannot read Hebrew or, or Greek. And, and I know there are often um, connotations or additional meanings in the original language that you don't find in the English translations. Right. So I like to take a, a, a simple tool like Vine's expository dictionary of, mm-hmm. of 
Old Testament, New Testament words and look up what well, what was the word, particular word for, for say, love that, that Paul used in this passage uh, to give me a better idea. Or, but just even an English dictionary is helpful because I find often there's English words that I, I can't... If I look up sanctification, for example, I see sanctification in the, in the Scripture, and if I don't have a clear idea well, right. what does that mean... I can't really understand the passage. Yeah, to be honest, in some ways, the English dictionary, it, it's more an issue of how they're translating into English than from the original language with that one. And, and I agree, it is, it is helpful sometimes to look at how a word is used. Here's my caution with that about word studies, is words mean what they mean because of the contexts in which they're used. Right, right. And so the phrase, Mary had a little lamb... The only reason you would start singing when you hear that is because we have a contextual understanding that that's a nursery rhyme. And so we go, hmm, 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 hmm. But if I'm talking about, hey, I went out with my friend Mary last night and, you know, Mary had a little lamb, you know, that was her side dish, right? And, uh, and if I'm talking about the virgin birth and Mary had a little lamb, well, that's Mary had the baby Jesus. And so those words are, they mean what they mean because of this conceptual world in which they exist, right? right? And so the danger with word studies is that you read the maximal amount of meaning into every single word and then go, well, I have to figure out what each of these words mean and then build from the bottom up rather than reading from the top down and saying, here's what they mean in the context right. they're used in. And so what I would say is another helpful thing to do is actually read different English translations, hmm. right? If a word sounds weird, how does, uh, you know, how does the ESV do it? How does the NASB do it? How does the NIV do this? How does a freer translation do this? And just get an idea of kind of how are the different ways this can get rendered? Because often what you find is actually a lot of clarity around, oh, this is an idiom. It's a figure of speech. And now they're trying to figure out how to... Um, how, how best to render that in English right. in a way that's understandable. Right. And so I think that's another, another little pro tip there. That's good. I, I've made the mistake in the past of, of thinking that Bible study is simply following a word through many different verses, and that I'm doing Bible study <laughs> that. And that's, that's of limited, it spends a lot of time. You can see how the word love is used throughout the New Testament. Here's a verse about love, here's a verse about love. But that's not nearly as helpful as simply looking at the passage you're in and, and really looking at and studying that. Yeah. And, and so th I find that I need to have a specific question I need to answer in order to understand this passage before I go beyond that. Yeah, it's like if you did a word study on me mm -hmm. <laughs> and every time Jeff used the word love yeah. in the last week, I don't know that you'd learn a lot about love right. necessarily, right. right? Wow, Jeff loves tacos and yeah. Jeff <laughs> loves the 49ers and Jeff loves his wife you would walk away with the thought that, well, love is actually a really malleable word, yeah. and it means what it means because of the context it's exactly. used in, and that's a caution for, oh, we're going to do a Bible study on love, yeah. and here's this divine love, agape, and phileo is this human love, and like, well, sort of. Yeah. There's, there's tendencies in how the words are used, but to build, to, to fill the word with so much meaning uh, and then assume it exists every time that word shows up is, um, is, a, is a fallacy. Um, interpretively. And so just to encourage you, when you're in a Bible study and people start talking, well, what does this word really mean? Well, just look at the context. Yeah. That's the And the English translators who know Hebrew and Greek and who are translating are giving you an idea. So anyway, those are some things I look for in observing. I, I would say these are just tools in the toolbox. You don't use each of these tools in every passage. It's it's more you use the tool that'll be helpful. If, if a passage is obvious what it's about to you, then you, you could just... You don't have to use all the tools, but these are ones that will help you when the Scripture is not as clear to you to, to really ferret out what, uh, what it's about. Um, once I've done some of those observations, I'm trying to find the big idea. What's a, the big idea that ties all the verses together? It can't be so specific that I'm leaving verses out. Uh, to make that the big idea, or kind of trying to squeeze them in, like three ways to be a better husband uh -huh. uh, is my big idea, and yet there's a lot of stuff in the passage that has nothing to do with being a better <laughs> husband. But it can't be so general, like good stuff to know from the Bible that, that gives me... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I It's want, actually my first book, yeah. Good Stuff to Know from the Bible. But, uh, but, but anyway, the, the, the big idea has to be my, my at least first summary of what this whole passage is about. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I've heard it described as generic conception. Wow. Uh, which is maybe not a helpful... <laughs> you didn't like that description, but the idea is a better word would be gist. What's the gist of this passage? Yeah. Because we want to read the parts in light of the whole. Right, right. A- and the assumption here is this, and is that the writer is writing to make a point. Right. And I would say that maybe the main reason we miss the point is just the presence of those little verse numbers. Yes, Yes. It is so misleading. Yeah. Because while verses, and, and just to let you know, listeners, verses weren't original to the text of Scripture. They were added lately. They're great for finding an address for where something is in the Bible so that you can go and park there. But they give the impression that the Bible was written as these little atomized bits of truth so that the goal is to understand what verses mean. Right. And that is a, a very dangerous assumption. Because words mean what they mean in context versus what they mean what they mean in paragraphs. Right. And so this idea of gist in interpretation, what's the big idea, is so important for us to, to remember that all of these words and sentences work together to make a point. Right. And I would say at this point, when you're looking for the big idea of a passage, if you're really struggling with it, it's good to actually copy and paste onto a Word document and take that passage and then delete all of the verses. All the verse numbers. All the verse, yeah. <laughs> Blank page, Dad. It's incredibly I see it clearly. <laughs> Visualize the past. No, uh, yeah, to delete all of the verse numbers and then read it like a unit of thought rather than a sequence of verses. Right. Because sometimes then your eyes are opened. Oh, wow, this is a paragraph about. Yes. Yeah. This. Does great. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, the goal in observation, the thing that shows me I've done my observation, right. is do can I give the gist of the passage? Can right. I see the big idea? Yeah. And then I want to look at how is that big idea developed? Right. In other words, what does each verse contribute? Mm-hmm. So now I'm looking at the individual trees in the forest, uh-huh. and, and uh, I want to see how they relate to one another. So, for example, 1 John 4, right. the big idea is, is love one another. Right. So I want to look at, well, does this tell me how to love one another right. or why to love one another? And as I look at the individual verses, I see very quickly John is talking about why we're to love one another, yep. that, that if you know God, you'll love people. Mm-hmm. If you abide in God's presence, you'll love people. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you love God, you'll love people. And so, just being able to break down that that theme into its uh, into its parts is very helpful. And so, I like to to have an outline, have my big idea, and then an, a, a rough outline with kind of the major points in how the the author develops that that theme, that that big idea. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be too precise. No. Is another thing I would say to to people that oh, I've got to get uh, exactly right, that the breakdown of this passage, that these verses go together and these verses. No, you're just looking for the big shifts yeah. in yeah. the passage and how the point develops. Exactly. And that's that's true. This is just giving you tools of what to look for when you sit down with your coffee and your Bible in the morning, and and where do I go from here, and, and right. things like that. And you're, the more you look at it, the more you're going to see. It's yep. just, there's this, I, I can look at the same passage and that I've lo- known for years and years and still find brand new things there that I never saw, mm-hmm. never saw before. Well, let's go to step two, interpretation. Jeff. Right. Uh, I've looked at what the passage says. Mm-hmm. Now I need to understand what it means. Right. And, and I like to think of that in terms of lessons. What, what do I learn? What lessons do I learn about Jesus or about God or about myself or about society? Uh, I think that's good, but I would go back to the idea of the, the main idea, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that's actually the first step in interpretation is establishing the point of the passage. Right. Right. That's, that's going from what it says to what it means. Right, right. And, and so, just to be clear on the process, I think we've already moved to interpretation once we're synthesizing the data and saying, here's the point. Okay. <laughs> right? Because at that point, we're saying, the author is communicating this. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I think, um, that's the first step in what it means. Does that make sense, as opposed to it, the lessons from there? It does. I guess I think of interpretation as more, what, does this pa- what did this passage mean to the people to whom it was written? And in light of that, what's it mean for me? Right. So that's so I'm kind of seeing interpretation as the bridge 
between observation and application. Yeah, another way of saying that would be we've established meaning. Now let's talk about significance. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So, uh, uh, because the meaning is fixed. Right. The meaning is what the author intended. Right. The significance now is how, what are the implications of this teaching for my life? Right. Does that make sense? Right, right. So, so some of the things I look for is, again, go back to commands, because that's, that's an easy one. Right. Here, here's the significance for you, what God says is the significance for you. Mm-hmm. Do this, or don't do that. Um, in narratives, I want to look at, for examples uh, of good behavior versus bad behavior. What does a person of faith how do they respond to God in this situation? How does unbelief respond? Um, I, I will look for cause effects. Right. Why did this happen? Why didn't this happen? Um, yeah, and I would say one thing about narrative yeah. that's really important to remember when you're looking for principles or lesson. Um, God is the hero in biblical narrative. Right, right. Jesus is the hero in biblical narrative. Right. And so when you're looking for um, who's the good guy in the story, it's God don't assume that the good guy is Abraham or David or Joseph or whoever. That's that's sometimes that is true. There are clear examples. Like Daniel is a very clear example yeah. in the Old Testament of yeah. he's clearly the good guy. He's yeah. clearly a model of faithfulness. Right. But narratives are about God's story in history and God as the hero and and what do I learn about God and his plan and his providence and his power that I need to trust in this situation does that make sense is a different takeaway well it makes sense but I think for a lot of people they're going to say yeah but how do I know when I should follow somebody's example how do I know when I shouldn't yeah, that's that's good. So, uh, so what would you say to that, right? In in and because in narratives, it's it's descriptive. It's describing what happened. How could we tell if it was prescriptive? If it was actually giving a model for behavior? That's a good question. Yeah, I I think first of all, I would would look at the issue of faith because mm-hmm. the righteous shall live by faith. Right. So, was this person is this person acting out of their faith in the living God? Right. Or are they acting out of unbelief? That that tells that that is. Uh, going to be applicable no matter which, whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Yeah, and and it's clear that that there are those examples when you go to Hebrews 11, and the writer says, by faith this happened, by faith this happened. Some of the examples are surprising, and yet they were examples of faith. And I like that because conversely, you could say if there are examples of unbelief, then we should be cautioned against treating them as examples to follow. Exactly. And I think, you know, Gideon in the book of Judges is a great example of that, where God calls him and he says, mighty man of valor, and Gideon's hiding in the wine press, right? right. And then Gideon goes through this process of, well, God takes him through a process of convincing him that he's going to use him, but Gideon's doubting all the way. Right. And so the whole thing about putting out a fleece and God show me a sign and all of these things, are these models for behavior? Well, they're examples of unbelief in Gideon's Right. life, and God is patient with him in his unbelief, right. but that is no example there to say, well, I'm going to put out a sign to God and right. see if he, uh, you know, that's putting God to the test, actually. Exactly. So that would be an example yeah. of a, a bad example. That, I think those, and so what we're saying is that faith really has got to be foundational mm-hmm. to, to behavior, right. that we're not looking for um, how to do this, how to do that, or right. things like that. We're not looking for moral lessons. Yeah, um, examples of actual faith. But we're looking for actual faith because you can you can live a moral life without faith, mm-hmm. and and that's called legalism. <laughs> and uh, we're right. certainly not to, to follow that. Right. So anyway, I would look look for those things. Yep. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm trying to find the significance. I liked it for myself. Mm-hmm. I like to state them in in uh, clear, simple lessons that I can apply. Right. Uh, that, and, and I find that uh, the more clarity I can bring to that, the easier it is to go to step three, application. So I could say, I should be more loving is mm-hmm. not nearly as helpful to me <laughs> as I need to treat people the way Jesus treated them. That, right. that, that is give, that's more valuable to me in terms of just stating what these, these lessons are. Well, yeah. What would you say for you the greatest challenge uh, in in, dis- in in interpretation and discovering what the passage actually means and its significance. Yeah, I think at this point, you know, meaning, if you're looking at just what was the author's message, um, 
that's sort of the world I've (laughs) been educated in as seminaries. You get all these tools on how to break down a passage and its meaning and its meaning in the context. I think what's challenging when you get to interpretation and application is really getting specific on on the connections between the ancient context and the modern-day context. Mm -hmm. And and this is the challenge in preaching, right, is to find what is the parallel situation where this would actually apply, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so if I'm preaching on 1 Corinthians 13, I could apply that to marriage Mm -hmm. and say, hey, in marriage, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is all of these things. But there's something that sits uneasy about that with me. Because Paul didn't write it to address an issue with um, with husbands and wives, first right. and foremost. Now, could there be a secondary application there? Absolutely, because he's talking about the nature of love, and that's great. But for the passage to really have its punch and its full effect, I have to think of an analogous situation in the world that I live in to the world that Paul was addressing. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And, and so the question I want to ask then is not, okay— in any area of life, where could I be more loving? It would be something more like, where have I prioritized spiritual giftedness or charisma over love yeah. in the way I look at ministry and the way I look at people? Right, right. And, and so that changes the entire framework yeah. in which you apply the passage. Does that make sense? So, yeah. so now, yeah. instead of thinking, man, in my marriage, I need to be patient and more kind, and of course, that's always true, um, and that's a good application. Now, it's more like, you know, when I'm thinking about people for ministry positions, how often do I gravitate toward who's the most powerful, impressive right. person versus who's the person who's most um, loving, right, kind, patient, who's really exhibiting the character of, of Christ? And that when I see those analogous situations, the passage hits me in a much more powerful way because right. I really feel like I'm learning the lesson it was trying to teach. Does that make sense? Exactly. So it's like the whole passage should shape the lessons we draw from it. Not exactly. Just, not just a verse. Not just the verse, but the whole how that verse fits into the whole context should shape the way I apply it to my life. Right. Otherwise, you get lessons that have nothing to do with the, the issue at hand in the passage, right. and it robs the Word of God of its power, yeah, I think. Yeah, and we miss exactly what God is saying to us, because He put it, He said it the way He wanted to say it. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible is not written to us as much as it is written for us and right. our benefit. And right. if we bypass the original point... Uh, we we miss the power of the Word of God to speak into our lives. Yes. The example that I always go to is Philippians 4 and the Nike verse in the Bible, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, put a swoosh on it, right? That yeah. is the most marketable thing that Paul ever said. And it's so catchy that often we forget the context in which Paul said it. Yeah, yeah. That right before that, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is not talking about achievement. He is talking about acceptance in every circumstance in life, that I have learned in any situation to be satisfied in Christ. Right. Right. So, I can do all things through him who strengthens me means I can be content in all circumstances in Christ and endure. Right. That's what it means. If you just take the verse and, you know, apply it to your weightlifting regimen or something, you're actually missing the power exactly. for it to speak to the, the areas of discontentment in your life. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Let's talk a little bit about application real quickly here. Yep. Um, how do I apply the things I learned from the passage? Right. Uh, and in a simple way, I think maybe we've talked about this, but a simple way I approach it is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Mm-hmm. Paul says all Scripture is inspired and profitable for four things. Mm-hmm. One is teaching, and teaching is I take what I learned from the passage. What is the, what is the lesson I learned? What is the thing I, I need to apply from the passage? Uh, reproof is where do I currently fall short in putting in believing this or putting this into practice, I I can't apply anything unless I first evaluate. Well, where am I in t- terms of this? And I think this mm-hmm. is where, as I listen to 
Christians studying the Bible. This is where most Christians fall short. They do not take the time to turn the searchlight of the Scripture on themselves and say, how am I failing to do this? How am I failing to believe this? How am I doing just the opposite? Because until I, first of all, see where I fall short, I can't see how to correct it. Right. Third is correction, and that's what should I be doing according to this passage. And I think just really defining it out, if I were obeying this passage, this is what it would look like. Mm -hmm. Training in righteousness is how am I going to implement this. Training is just deliberate practice. How am I going to deliberately practice this uh, so that I can implement it? And so to me, working through those four steps, I should end up in my Bible study not just knowing some new truth, but I, I am building some new habit. Hmm. That's good. I would you say for you that this process is something you go through every day, or is it something you can take your time and kind of work through the same passage on multiple days? Because I we've laid out a ton of ideas, tools, steps in this process. And I think my concern is that listeners would think, I have to go through consciously all of these steps every time I read the Bible, and since I'm supposed to be with Jesus daily, I have a daily new habit to build. Um, That just sounds overwhelming to me. Yeah, and I I think this is an in-depth study of the Bible, and it is something that takes uh, weeks, not not days. And so I would say that if you're really going to study it, it's uh, a little bit every day that right. you're really looking at. So maybe it's just one thing of, of observation that right. you're observing, and you're slowly working through this till you finally get to the end. It's like a, a carefully prepared meal. It takes time. It takes time. That's good. And, and, uh, and but by the time you get to it, it's it's gone. You've thought about it enough. You've meditated on it enough. It finally really takes root in you. Mm-hmm. And so you're now you're ready to begin to practice this in, in your daily life. So I think we're we're too fast food oriented. We're too quick. We want to we want a quick insight for every day. And it just doesn't work that way. It is the being with Jesus that really satisfies us. Right. Um, that that's we're getting that no matter what stage of Bible study we're in, we're with Jesus, we're listening to him, we're having him teach us. Right. The imp, the practice and implementation is at the at the end of now. How do I become a doer of what he's taught me? Yeah, and and I would say that there are times to go deep and intentionally study this way. Mm-hmm. We get the benefit of having to prepare sermons, so the process we just talked about, we have to go through it all the time. And, uh, the t- and much faster than we would like. Much faster than we'd like to, but the terror of public speaking is a great motivator yeah. to go through the process well, and, and it really forces you to apply it too, because I don't want to be a hypocrite, or right. at least try not to. But, yeah. um, but I would say that the same process that we would use to prepare a sermon, it's really not that different than the process that every believer should go through of saying that there are times to read the Bible for breadth, you know, read through a book in one sitting. That's great. Yeah. You'll get a lot out of that. But then when you're going to go deep into what a passage means and then how it applies to my life, do this. Take the time. Prepare a beautiful roast, (laughs) right? Don't give yourself fast food. Here's the benefit of that, too, is that it will benefit you every single other time you are in the Bible because these questions, these tools will become part of who you are. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And, and I think that so much of this comes down to just building better reading habits yeah. as believers. Yeah. That the reason we need to talk about this is because we have cultivated bad reading habits. Um, one is the assumption that the Bible should immediately resonate with me emotionally, and that's how the Holy Spirit speaks. <laughs> and so if nothing emotionally resonates with me, well, then then there's no reason to study. That's yeah. that's one. B is that the Bible needs to be broken down into these tidbits or atomized truths. And so the Bible is just a list of principles rather than most of the time a narrative, a story, right, um, right or a paragraph of meaning, right? Yeah. That there are bigger chunks of meaning. Um, and then to our point today that I really have to take time to pay attention and slow down and be attentive to, to benefit from the Word. Yes. 
And so I think to sum up this conversation, here are the questions I think are most important when you're reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, What details stand out to me in the text? That's the key observation question. The key interpretation questions would be, what's the gist of the passage? (laughs) And then what situation is this most analogous to in my life? I think those are kind of the big ones I would. And then for application, it just work through the framework that Paul gives in 2 Timothy 3, yeah. that it's reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. That, that, those, those, if you just internalize those, you are way ahead in the game. Yeah. No, it's exactly what James says. He who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, this man will be blessed in all that he does. It's uh, a very, like you said, it's a very diet. We, uh, we read big chunks, we study small chunks, we meditate, we memorize, all these things. They're all different ways to, to look intently at the law so that we, it becomes the way we think and the way we behave. Good. I want to close with this. This is a ton of information. The reason that we care about laying it out like this is that we don't want to give the impression that growing in this area will be automatic and that it'll be like fast food. Right. And it would be, I think, disingenuous of us as pastors to say, oh, growing in this is just super simple and easy, and and here's a tool you can use, and here's a commentary you can read, and and that approach, um, it doesn't benefit you. I I, I just want to encourage you that if it seems challenging, it's okay to feel challenged. <laughs> it's okay for that. This is, this is the, the book that God has given us to wrestle with for the duration of our lives. And um, I don't want to, I guess, lower the bar for people yeah. in their personal Bible study. Does that make sense? It's, oh, like, yeah. it's like the best workouts I've done. I never saw progress until I did workouts that actually made me a little scared. But once you do that and you start reaping the rewards, you go, well, I'm never going back to doing it any other way. And I just so want Christians to be dissatisfied with a diet of just shallow, out-of-context devotions (laughs) that so often get passed off as Bible study and say, no, I'm going to look in the book for myself. Uh, That is what shapes us. Yeah, Yeah, becoming a self-feeder. I was just thinking of what Timothy says, uh, Paul says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who needs not to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. That it, it's work. Yep. And uh, it, it's hard, and that's why most people don't do it. Mm-hmm. And yet those who do are infinitely benefited. Yeah. That's great. Good. That's a good place to wrap up. I think next time it would be good to talk a little bit more about meditation, memorization, how Bible reading builds our faith, I think we might disagree, and that's juicy, because we can get into some disagreements next time about this. Maybe we don't. Um, But uh, yeah, it'll be good to do a a third and potentially final podcast on this, uh, just because it is the master habit, and we want to give it its due. Great. Well, thanks, Dad. Thanks for listening. And until next time, uh, be blessed, and we'll see you again soon.